Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 20, The Ultimate Upgrade. This week, we're discussing season 2, episode 5 of Doctor Who, Rise of the Cybermen, and season 2, episode 7 of Buffy, Lie to Me. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. And so we begin with Rise of the Cybermen, uh, the first of a two-parter. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. um, (laughs) Considering they pretty much end the episode with all of them surrounded by Cybermen and the doctor giving up. What's up with that? Yeah, I know. Anyway. Um, but we'll talk about that in a bit, I think. First, I wanted to talk about how they got there, mm-hmm. uh, which is there appears to be some big malfunction with the TARDIS yeah. and the time vortex. Um, the time vortex is gone, apparently. It disappears. It goes somewhere else. Um, or, and not, or they go somewhere else. You just blew my mind. <laughs> Um, doesn't take much. Something happens. <laughs> right, right. So you, you mean the doctor and yeah, all of them? Yes. Okay. I was talking about the time vortex. I'm like, wait, there's more than one time vortex? Oh, um, no. When I meant, you, when I you meant said they. They're not even in the, like, from what I can gather, the time vortex is what's in between different times and places that's how you get it's where you travel to get to the different times and places so if they're not there where are they you know like they're flung out of it he says it's into the void into no place otherwise known as parallel london (laughs) right 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 well and and okay so yeah there's a number of things here because right like somehow they either they leave or they get jettisoned or something yeah. happens so that they're no longer in the time vortex. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Because it's sort of like when the doctor... Don't you get the impression that the doctor expects it to be, like, nothingness outside of the TARDIS? Like... <clears throat> yeah. No, No. that's definitely the impression he gives. But here's the, here's the question I sort of have. So, okay, so... The time vortex, it's something that's sort of nebulous. I mean, it exists, but it it's sort of like, it's like the force. It surrounds us and penetrates us. Uh-huh. And however, yeah. you know, um, we get the description from Obi-Wan there about the force. But then it's also like, there's like the manifestation of the vortex, which seems to be what is in the TARDIS that, can be looked into and which then comes and possess Rose. Okay. Yeah. And then the doctor, remember in, in, um, that last episode from last season, and the name of it escapes me at the moment. Um, parting of the ways. And parting of the ways. Yes. I kept wanting to say bad wolf. I'm like, no, the, I am the bad wolf. No, that's like yeah. in that previous episode. Um, in that episode where Rose has, well, Rose can either has the vortex like, is it something she has, or is it something she sees? And, like, that that's the thing that I think I'm a little confused about here is with exactly what happened. Because, like, the doctor's like, oh, well, that's I'm experiencing that all the time. And doesn't it drive you mad? And yada, yada, yada. So, like, 
Right, but he also says... When he says the time vortex is gone here in this episode... Yeah. Like, like that's what I'm confused about. So is it just that, like, it's it's gone in that they can no longer detect it, or it's gone because it somehow left the TARDIS, or, like, what's going on there? It's sort of, like, I'm, I'm a little confused about all of that. Well, and it is kind of, like... All and I realize it, it is, this goes back to the whole concept of like Doctor Who doesn't necessarily give the most scientific explanation. Sure, for yeah, no, it's like the blend of <laughs> fantasy and science fiction and everything. So like, I think it's like it seems to be kind of both because, like you said, like he says he can both see, you know, the vortex in a sense, but then he also says to Rose that she has it running through her head, and that's what's killing her at the end of the last season. So it's both something that can be perceived and some sort of physical or psychic thing which can be, um, you know, which has, like, a physical effect and everything. So, you know, I mean, similarly, it seems to be, like, a psychic thing which is everywhere and nowhere that kind of like almost a a metaphysical idea but then it's also what they travel in right like it's the the title sequence of of the tardis spinning through the swirly colored tunnel is them traveling through a sort of classical wormhole depiction of and then like you said it's also what is inside the tardis and the tardis is somehow linked with it or using it or incorporating with it to do what it does so you know it's kind of a it is kind of like a metaphysical idea because it it skirts the line between physical and psychic or abstract and all well, these and, things um and, so and it, and seems it was wondering like, and it and just to like finish up with that i mean it seems like when whatever happens and they're sort of flung out of it he does expect them to be no place um but then Mm -hmm. also it is what it it, it, the TARDIS is empty it has perished is what he says and 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 like all of the color and the life goes out of the the inside of the TARDIS so it's it's the life force of what is it's the blood that's keeping the TARDIS alive as well um, yeah. So it's um, kind of all that stuff at once, it seems to me. And and you could almost explain, like, what happens to Rose. Like, if, if the time vortex is something that's just sort of exists and there's an ability to see it and, of course, manipulate it, like TARDIS seems to... And, and the TARDIS has the ability to, to manipulate it in a way and the doctor seems to have that ability through the TARDIS. And then Rose kind of gets that ability when she's possessed. Like it, you could almost explain that away. Like, again, like that, that the time vortex is separate, but it's all that psychic thing that the, the TARDIS can kind of do to you to make you perceive it. And that's what Rose has. That's, um, you know, kind of overcoming her. But then here again, he, he, he says the time vortex is gone. Like, He's looking and he's looking at the TARDIS. Oh, my, you know, engine block is missing. Oh, the time vortex is gone. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it, it's that sort of like it, 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 it becomes way more mechanical almost than. Yeah, but I than think sort of I what I was expecting. But I don't think it's just what's powering. Uh, just what's 
like it's not just the fuel that's powering the TARDIS. It is that, but I think it's also what they're in when they're traveling. Like I think that's what's underlying that idea that the joke is that Mickey opens the door and otherwise known as London. Like that's, but the joke is because it's like it's almost like you would expect that there would literally be a void you know a nothingness a wormhole something you know negative energy outside of the TARDIS door so I think it's it is what's sort of the mechanical what makes the TARDIS go but it's also you know the the whatever well, it is that they're traveling into I think I, I didn't quite get that impression with with like the opening the door and seeing nothing, I didn't. Ex I don't think they were expecting to see the time vortex outside the door or anything. I think it was. I think it was more like we got thrown somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Like it's, you, you know what I mean. Like that it was still a, a physical place, but it was, you know, like three billion light years away from the closest planet, kind of thing. Like that's sort of what I oh, was I, I, expecting. Yeah, no, I don't think that's not what I got out of it, but maybe. They're not yeah. particularly clear on what it is. I think we're going to get a little bit more, too, about the void and what that is. Well, and, and, and I say planet. I mean, that's that's a physical, dimensional thing. I mean, three billion light years away from the closest time. <laughs> like, you know, whatever whatever in between times would be. You know you know what I mean? Like, sort of the... the, the... Anyway... Yeah, yeah, I don't know, know a lot. I, I, I'm saying, I guess, from my perspective at this point, not, you know, one, this being first part of a two-party, and two, not just having a lot of information about what this whole time vortex thing is. I, I guess, for me, there's still a lot of questions. So I, I don't want to spend too much time. We've spent, like, ten minutes already just talking about this part. But yeah. um, just to say that that there is a lot of confusion about sure. what's going on. The TARDIS sort of explodes and then dies. Um, and there's this little bit that they find that somehow still has power in it. And so the whole concept of like the doctor using 10 years of his life to like charge it back up. Yeah. That's huh. Okay. Well, it's sort of like, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense to me. I don't know that, like, it's not, like, a rigorously defended scientific system or anything. But, like... No? You know, I don't know. It seems... I, I think they make it fairly clear that, like... I don't know. I think I see, like, the time vortex is, like, a street that they're driving in. And that's the road that you travel to get places. And it's almost like when the TARDIS explodes, it's flung off of the street and... You don't have access to fuel, so how can you get back in the street to keep going where you're going? That's kind of the analogy that I would use. And because of the rules of whatever, you know, you need your type of, you know, only certain types of fuel will get your car powered to get you back onto the street. So that's why, you Sure, know. And, and he uses the, the analogy of petrol versus diesel in, yeah, exactly. in the episode. So, um, no, I... I get that. Um, just still have a lot of questions. Um, but we can move on and start talking about the characters, perhaps. Um, and so, my favorite character <laughs> is clearly in focus this episode. Uh -huh. 
Mickey, Ricky, what's his name? I don't know. Both, neither. Um, yeah, no, okay, so we get flung into this parallel dimension. Of course, we have these Zeppelins, and of course, immediately I thought Fringe, but um, I know you, you're not very familiar with that show, are you? So, I'm not, no. Um, that connection may not have been immediately obvious to you. Anyway. No, but it's uh, whether this is what Fringe did or not, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have down steampunk plus cyberpunk, right? Like, it's kind of both at once, you know, so they're kind of flirting with incorporating both of those ideas in the parallel world. Sure. Um, yeah, just the Zeppelins was the, the only Zeppelins connection alone. I was making yeah. <laughs> to, to Fringe, so, um, which is which is sort of a prominent iconic parallel dimension thing there. And I don't, I don't remember exactly when Fringe started. It was a few years after this. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there's any, any sort of crossover, crossover there. I feel like that's a pretty strong steampunk motif, though. Like, that that, that has right. to what have I'm been saying used is that dozens fringe, of times before. But I'm saying, like, Fringe doesn't necessarily... I'm not... Fringe doesn't necessarily have the steampunk connection. It just has the Zeppelins. Gotcha. That's what I'm... That's all I'm... That's the only point I'm making. Um, wow. Just... Yeah. Anyway. So, they come to London. Um, and Mickey... Um, well... I don't know. So, he... <laughs> He is wanting to go off, right, on his own. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm sort of, like, he gets pissy with the doctor because mm -hmm. the doctor, like, doesn't seem to care about him. Mm -hmm. But, like, when did Mickey come to expect that the doctor cared anything about him? Right. Well, you know, <laughs> like, what, it, you know what it always reminds me of is um, the Seinfeld episode with Keith Hernandez. When, okay. when Jerry is jealous of, uh, of Keith for getting Elaine's attention, but then slowly he starts to become jealous of Elaine for getting Keith's attention. And then okay. eventually, you know, so now it's like you can't tell who he really has the crush on. And then Elaine says, I understand. Are you jealous of him or are you jealous of me? And Jerry says, I'm jealous of everybody. That, to me, sounds like Mickey. Like, yeah. Mickey's perpetual third-wheel status is such that, you know, it, it used to be jealousy of the Doctor for Rose's affection. And I think that's still there. But maybe he's distanced enough from that now. He's got enough of wanting to not be the Tin Dog, wanting to be the adventurer, wanting to be included. So now it's not just... Uh, getting the girl's attention, but it's wanting to be the full status companion. So now it's a jealousy of Rose for the doctor's attention. You know, mm. like since it seems like that's been since he's sort of come on board a little bit, like in the whole Sarah Jane adventure of wanting to not be um, left out. And then, you know, he got his first trip in the TARDIS last yeah. week and kind of was kind of excited by it, but also kind of, you know, complained his way through it as well. Um, so that's what it seems like to me, is, you know, it, it's that thing of Mickey's jealous of everybody, and Mickey's, you know, uh, you know self-inflicted, sure, but, but is always going to be the one 
left behind. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and even right from the beginning, he's holding this button. Yep. <laughs> for a half hour. <laughs> yeah. He could have let go. And he could have let it go ago. after. Yeah, after a minute or so. But then the question is. It's like right after he lets go of that is when the TARDIS goes wrong. I mean, so that's like, what I was going to say is it almost seems like the letting go of the button was the trigger for whatever, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. And I don't know that we're ever really given an explanation for whether that was a mechanical failure or, you know, or something in the vortex Or maybe because he held it so long. Some, that's like, what I was thinking. Um, yeah. So... But, yeah, I mean, very funny. The Doctor and Rose sort of only have eyes for each other. And Mickey, you know, you've all, we've all been there of everyone explaining a trip that they went on. And you're just sitting there kind of nodding your head and making occasional interjections. And he's just completely forgotten. So. Yeah. Well, and, and of course... There's the whole when Rose goes off and <laughs> the doctor's yelling at Mickey because he let Rose goes off. Yeah. And it's like she has it. She wanders. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, how is that Mickey's fault? She wandered when Mickey wasn't around, too. Like that has nothing to do with Mickey. Right. Um, well, and you see and, Mickey wanting to, you know, I mean, Rose wanders. And who does Mickey hang out with? He doesn't go right after Rose. He stays and is trying to he doesn't do much, but he's trying to sort of be right. the guy who will help with the mechanic he kind of wants to be jack right like he wants to like be the guy who's under the hood of the under the hood of the car helping the doctor fix up the tardis and everything right um and there's that great moment where the doctor is sort of explaining something to him and he kind of looks at him and then crosses his arms just like the doctor does like kind of trying to want to be like him emulate him a little bit sure sure um but then also he sort of throws that ultimatum at the doctor when he's starting to go off after Rose and, and, and he repeats the same line, but this time to the doctor rather than to Rose. Cause, cause, Oh, what episode is it where he says it, it's never going to be me. It's always going to be him. Isn't it? Right. Now he says this, yeah. now he says this to the doctor when he's about to go off after Rose and, and it's like once again, you know, repeated, but flipped, you know, this time. Yep. Um, you can only chase after one of us. It's n it's never going to be me, is it? Yeah. I just, I like, I immediately picked that out when I heard that. I'm like, that's exactly, that. I, I think that's exactly the phrasing, too. It's never going to be me, is it? Yeah. Um, that he uses with Rose. Yeah. Um, so, um, of course, he goes to the one person who does seem to care for him. And, well, and literally cares for him, or at least did care for him mm -hmm. when she was alive. Um, his grandma. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, I love when Rose is talking about Mickey and his grandma and she's like, ah, oh, how she used to slap I know, him. that's like this reminiscing, like, good times when Mickey oh, used like, to get slapped around by his grandma. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Why, why is that what you remember? Oh, how, how affectionately we remember this woman who used to slap my boyfriend or whatever he is. Um, and, and, and her sort of revelation to herself that, oh, I guess we just take him for granted. Um, but not like she goes running off and trying to find him or anything. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, we take him for granted. Okay, I'm gonna go look up my dad now. Yep. you know, like yep. it's like as we're on the way to go look up my <laughs> <Yeah>. dad. <laughs> um. Well, no, and I mean there is an aspect of like 
you know, for all Mickey is always attention seeking, there's another aspect of him that doesn't put himself forward very much, that doesn't share. I mean, this is the first we're learning at all about any backstory for Mickey in terms of like a family of his own and, you know, um, he kind of wants the doctor to chase after him or to care, but he doesn't tell him about his grand. He just sort of goes off and, and wants to see whether she's still there. I mean, clearly that's yeah. what he's thinking is when he's saying, you know, oh, there's nothing to tend to me here. He's thinking about all the things that he could be, right. you know, trying well, to recover. And it's, it's interesting that Rose is the one who's defending Mickey in that situation to the doctor. Like, she's the one saying, well, you never asked to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor's like, well, he never brought it up. Yeah, but you didn't ask either. Like, it... Yeah. yeah, there there's both like both are valid points. You know, neither neither of them brought up Mickey's past. Yeah. You know, the doctor never was really interested. The only reason the doctor has ever done anything for or with Mickey is because of Rose. Yeah. And that's mostly true of Mickey with and for the doctor. Sure. You know, what yeah. I mean? like it, 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 it maybe less true now than it certainly was true before but you know at least now he's starting to kind of go off on his own and do his own things and be a little more comfortable um pursuing those things but yeah you're right it's it's uh it's definitely mickey hasn't hasn't brought any of that up and it's but again as rose points out it's also true that the doctor hasn't asked he hasn't seemed to care at all whereas clearly from episode one um with the ninth doctor, we, we saw, uh, you know, him asking Rose, what, even just, what's your name? You know, like in the first minute of the show, it's like, you know, right from the beginning, there's, there's an interest that he takes in Rose that he never has yet taken with Mickey. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, um, well, and, and of course his bizarro name is Ricky, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's also a callback to the first episode, that he's been getting his name wrong for all this time. And now, yeah. finally, finally, it's he's <laughs> saying Mickey and being corrected, no, it's Ricky. <laughs> like, right, you know, right. so now, I, I mean, I just really like that moment when Gran says it's Ricky, and he goes, it's Mickey. She's like, I know my grandson's name. It's Ricky, which is pretty much exactly what the doctor's, like, what the doctor said, you know, you don't know your no- your own name. How stupid are you? You know, like. Right, 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 right. That whole joke. And he just, okay, I'm Ricky. You know, like. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, of course, I mean, right. There's the whole, he's seeing someone he really cares for who, I do, do we know how long ago his grandmother died? Uh, did, I think did we she find said, out? I think Rose said like five years ago or something. Oh right, because she said she it was like when I was still in school. Right, and, she was right, in right, high right, school, right. right. Um. So yeah, I mean, so I mean, it's been a few years at least. I mean, clearly he very much misses her. So at that point, it's just right. Whatever you say, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's yeah, it's that I'm here and able to see you. Um, and the implication is that her death is something of his fault too. Yeah. Um, for not getting the, the stairway carpet fixed. Yep. Um, right. And we kind of, 
uh, talked about, touched on that last week about the idea of um, alternative reality. You know, Renette says something about, you know, it happened and there aren't any alternatives if, if this is what happened. I don't know anything else, so it certainly doesn't matter to me that history right. might have that, gone another way. And this is... What's supposed to have happened doesn't... Ma- like, there's that's a null statement. Exactly. There's no supposed to about it. Right. What happens is what happens. So, you know, and, and in your own timeline, that may be true, but then also in this universe, we're getting this idea of multiple realities and alternate realities where things happen yeah. a different way. So that's the whole idea of the gingerbread house is, you know. Well, and the point, so there are a couple points here. One is that the stair still isn't fixed. So yeah. Rick, Ricky, so Ricky hasn't, hasn't done it either. It. Yep. But it's, so, you know, looking at the two personalities though, they're two very different personalities because you get, you get sort of the idea from Mickey himself that he didn't do it. And that, like, in the real world, I mean, in the real, in Mickey's world, he didn't do it because Mickey is not someone who takes initiative to do things. Yeah. Like, that's, like, that's sort of the, like, he knew that it was there, and he knew that there was a possibility of it causing a fall, but whether he was just lazy or whether he never really believed anything tragic would happen, yeah. even though he knew sort of theoretically that something could happen, um, whatever the reason, he just never sought the ambition to, to, to go and take care of it. Um, in Ricky's world though, like the fact that it's still not fixed is interesting because we do sort of see that opposite personality in Ricky that, you know, from Mickey where like, you know, yeah, he's the top most wanted man in London. Like he's leader of the underground, you know, fighter of the resistance or whatever, you know, like however you want to phrase those things. Yeah. Yeah. He's Mr. Initiative. He has the coolness factor or the, you know, um, the, 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 right. The jackness. Yeah. yeah. Like the jackness I said, um, yeah, no, he has all of those things that Mickey wants. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, but yet the stairs are still still not not fixed. fixed. Yep. So like, you know, ultimately like, which is better? Like what's, you, you know, it's kind of two extremes here that yeah. we're looking at. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I think that goes back to the doctor's statement about all these parallel worlds and not one of them gets them, gets it right. You know, it's, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. he may be a, a more self-assured, confident person, but if he doesn't fix those stairs, his grand is going to meet the same tragic yeah. end, you know? So it yeah. doesn't, even when you change sort of the details of, you know, of your life, uh, it, it's not necessarily a better or worse scenario. You know, things still kind of, the pieces may fall in a different place, but mm-hmm. it's still the same sort of broken world, um, you know, in any case. Yeah, yeah. And and, no, and I think right. it was no Clark in the commentary who plays Mickey, who said that, you know, Mickey and Ricky aren't, he wanted to not make, play them as different people, that they're the same people, but under different circumstances. So anything that, 
Ricky is capable of, Mickey in theory would be capable of too had had his life been shaped under different circumstances. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't mean that Ricky suddenly is great about taking care of Gran and fixing the stairs. It just means that, you know, they're under this sort of fascist regime, which has molded Ricky to take on more of a rebellious and, you know, uh, leadership type role. Mm-hmm. Right, right. No, that that makes sense. And I think, and and we see that. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so I guess um, one, one thing I was thinking of too, though, is, and, and this uh, actually going back to just what we were saying about the TARDIS too, is I, I, I failed to mention um, the whole conversation or, or the explanation, I guess, that the doctor gives that uh, Mickey's the one who points out that um, oh, you know, it happens all the time in fiction. You know, you just yeah. pop from one reality to another like it's no big deal. And the doctor says, like, that may have been the case in the past mm-hmm. um, when the Time Lords were available. So, like, I don't know. Again, like, just sort of putting that all in into conversation with what the TARDIS does. Like, it, I don't know, maybe they had a converter where you could use diesel in petrol engines. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, like there, there was something clearly going on. But, it, you know, it kind of, again, ties into that whole idea that, you know, the ability of things to work again the way they're supposed to Uh whatever that means um is has been limited and so um yeah i just want i just want to make sure i pointed that out one that it was mickey who who kind of brings that up yeah um and and is wrong but not entirely wrong you know he he's wrong only in that it's a capability that they no longer have but apparently at one point you know they could pop back and forth between realities relatively easy so um yeah and it's kind of interesting that it doesn't seem to be something that is just innate to a time lord right because they have a time lord they have the doctor so it's not like oh this is easy for a time lord and not it's something about the society of the time lords it's more it seems to me that it's more to do about like um policing of the traffic and things like that like that there's yes. there's a well, danger factor which you take away their supervision and suddenly it becomes much more unpredictable and dangerous so it's not well, just the the fact of what they are as aliens or right whatever. right 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 no and and that's i wanted to bring this up because that's actually something that i think ties in well with the last time we saw pete in that, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, the, 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 the whole, like, there's, the whole idea is that um, in Father's Day, in the episode Father's Day, yeah. you know, you have these creatures coming in because there's some kind of weird, you know, time um, uh, paradox that's created when yeah. Rose, the second time, <laughs> goes back and saves him from yeah. being hit. And and so you get the weird paradox. And, and, I, and we were talking about this because it was like part of the breakdown. And I think the doctor even says in that episode, you know, if the time Lords were still around, yeah, they would have they had would a better handle this, yeah. on, on this type of thing. Like it, it wouldn't have become an issue where, you know, people were getting killed and eaten or whatever those yeah. monsters were doing. So, so I think we get a nice little parallel with that again. Like mm-hmm. it's another instance of 
sort of the edges fraying because the Time Lords aren't around to... And again, you know, it comes up... I almost said they're not around to make things happen the way they're supposed to happen. But it doesn't matter what's supposed to happen. It's it's what is happening because they're gone. And this is all sort of residual effect and, and um, you, you know, kind of collateral damage, I guess, from the Time War. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and of course, you know, I and think you, it... And you do have Pete there as the marker, you know, as this is... This is clearly the character that we get when we want to explore this idea of the danger of what could of have been or changing time and yeah. and either changing your own timeline and creating an alternate reality in your own time stream or hopping into a completely separate or parallel time stream right. that, that Pete is really well, the embodiment of that theme. <laughs> right. One way or the other, some something is wrong. It's not. Yeah. Again, it's not supposed to be there, but it's like in this case, that's literally true. The doctor and Rose and Mickey aren't supposed to be in this yeah. world. Something happened, something failed. Uh, and that ties along nicely with sort of that end. We were just when we were kind of opening, um, I mentioned we get the doctor at the end <laughs> uh, surrendering himself and all of the people who are supposedly under his protection, uh, to the Cybermen. Yeah. Um, but he says, he, he does that because he says, I've seen this happen before. It's happening yeah. again. Right. I've seen them before. Like yeah. this, you know, which gives a sort of resonance of the Daleks, right? It's, you know, again, it's this old enemy sort of rising from, you know, it's a different situation. Yeah. But, um, like, he's he's here seeing something happening again that, shouldn't shouldn't be happening <laughs> like this yeah. is not um this does not compute so to speak i sorry i just want to i, I want to bring in one thing uh-huh. i i sort of made that offhand comment about the daleks but um their voices sound stunningly similar to the daleks they're very tinny and you know um mechanical yeah and it's actually, i don't know if well it's the same actor that does the voices he uses like a voice okay. modulator thing and he'll do he does it on set um but so i think it's just different tones too mm-hmm. whereas the Do- the daleks have that robotic voice i don't know that they sound to me as monotone it sounds more like screechy you know this is more um i mean it's still with that robotic sort of mechanical edge but yeah the but, delete Delete. Yeah, delete. but these guys to me sound <laughs> versus more... exterminate, exterminate. Yeah, yeah. Exterminate. well, they do have the catchphrase and everything. Yeah, <laughs> but but just the tone of the voice to me sounds different. But no, the is... tone is the tone is different. But, it's it's but very this, similar. It is though. the same actor using the same you I didn't know, know that. type of microphone, so it's not surprised that it would sound the same. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't think that necessarily. I I wasn't necessarily intending to make anything more of a connection than than just that. I mean, although now that I've said that and now that I'm thinking about it, uh-huh. we get another instance of people sort of being pulled off the street or from wherever and being turned into monsters, yeah. which is what we learned the Daleks did. Yeah. Um, so maybe they're not that far off. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, um, well, I mean, since we're talking about, do we, I mean, I feel like we could spend the last chunk of the, of our time talking about the Cybermen. Do we have anything else to say about well, we, we're, characters we're gonna t- and 
we were going to talk about Pete and Jackie, and okay. and and I think we were both kind of talking about how we didn't have a whole lot for Rose this time. So um, maybe we can talk about the three of them together. Yeah. Um, and and I think you're right. Going um, talking about Pete and just sort of the way that he does sort of signify this, yeah, this alternate this fantasy of well what if my father was around i mean that's clearly from rose's perspective what she's thinking about um so yeah i I mean it's funny because now where we saw him before on father's day where we saw the quote true pete where he was just you know he was always doing these crazy schemes and none of them were ever successful this is like well the the schemes are kind of successful yeah and and we get kind of a picture of a guy who, even though he has these successful schemes, like, uh, he he's also not, like, they're successful, but they're kind of, it's also because they're scams, right? right? Like, yeah. You know, they're, they're not. It's health drinks that's really just soda, you know? Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also that he's then tied into this sort of nefarious fascism that, mm-hmm. um you know, is, 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 uh, going on around them. So, and, and keeping other people oppressed. So it's kind of like, all right, yay, you know, you're successful, but you're kind of a jerk about it. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, and, exactly. and not, not even like he personally is a jerk, but it's like, you've built your success on the subjugation of other people, quite literally. Yeah. Um, well, and again, that idea of like, you know, the idea of wouldn't it be great if doesn't necessarily make things better. You know, wouldn't it right. have been great for Pete if he was successful? Well, you know, not necessarily. I mean, yeah, he has money, so I guess that's preferable. But, you know, his marriage with Jackie seems to be about the same way it was before he died and when they yeah. were living hand to mouth. So that doesn't right. seem to have improved at all. Um, right. And then uh, you've also got the... And Jackie hasn't gotten any nicer. No, definitely not. If anything, the opposite. Um, <laughs> yeah. But And then also... Yeah, I was when... using an understated uh, <laughs> phrasing there, but... And, uh, and I think also this, you know, whether it was because of... I mean, they say they kept putting off having kids, so there seems to have been an effect of the focus on the work and the career and his schemes and ideas and that kind of self-focus which Mm -hmm. is taken off of the family so you know the marriage is still in a bad way and they don't even have rose so you know they have a rose they have rose but uh yeah not in the way that she would have rose in the alternate dimension is kind of a bitch (laughs) um sorry Uh, that was that was poor um poor taste uh no but yeah no she's she and well and jackie is some kind of robot or under some kind of control there like we see in the well she's got the ear pods in so and everyone the ear pods oh right right, the idea is that so it's not just her it's that no no i think it's the idea that people are using technology that they don't understand and that they unbeknownst to them they are being spied on and controlled via these ear pods which 
somehow link directly into their brains and can you right know, so that's right because because there's that scene where like they all stop and get the yeah download and they get their download and... right so you get right, your right. updated news and weather straight into your head rather than into your smartphone but um mm. but then we see with Jackie that can be used pretty easily by the bad guys to you know get information about her household and everything um right right. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and well, and there's the whole conversation where uh, Rose sort of forgets that she's supposed to be a waitress yeah. or a whatever and, and a server, and Jackie just flips out on her. Oh, I don't know that Rose forgets. I think she's just a meddler. I think this is the same, the same Rose well, that pulled her dad out in front of the car that... She, is yeah, I don't, trying well, to interfere. She, 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 she drops the the ruse, though. I mean, like she's she's not right. right. She, she doesn't drops, she doesn't come she, out and say, "Oh, I'm really your daughter from another yeah, she parallel drops dimension." A little bit, but yeah. but yeah, she. I mean, she's supposed to be a server and turns that into a mother daughter moment, yep. even though even though she's not coming out and saying, "Well, yeah, you this know, is, you know, she has this fantasy of." of being the one to get them. She, she expects it to be a mother daughter moment. Of course it's not right. because as the doctor keeps reminding her, Jackie is not her mother. Right. You know, she never yeah. had Rose. She has no right. reason to feel affection towards her. No, no. Um, and Jackie is kind of horrible in this episode, but you know, I, I, I don't know if you had a failing marriage, how would you like it? If some stranger came up and, tried to talk to you about it that may be a little well, bit offensive yeah especially a young attractive one that's saying your husband is <laughs> he's, worth he's pretty you know, a good guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 um right no and i'm not saying well yeah anyway i, I don't i don't want to make too much like we don't expect a lot from jackie per se so like <laughs> and we don't get a lot from jackie no. so i think i think it's perfectly consistent with her character like you said it's it's the way, you know, same with Mickey, I think. It's it's the way she would act given a different situation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, but we should talk about the Cybermen. Yeah, I do want to get to them because they're important. Um, you know, we get the, we well, all right, go, go ahead. Tell me about Lumic, is it? Lumic. Is that the... Yeah. The, the guy, like... The guy in the wheelchair. Is there, is there anything more we need to know um, at this point? Like, is he, is he like, a classic who villain or something? No, or is no, there... No, he's not. Um, so, let me I, give well, you I, a And little... I know that Cybermen are, but, yeah, yeah give let me some context. Let me give my little here. spiel here. So, uh, you know, they brought the Daleks back in the first season, and this becomes a trend in New Who, is that pretty much, I think, every season... They bring back one classic monster and sort of redo okay. it for the new show. And and they kind of go in descending order of importance, right? They started with the most iconic. The Cybermen sure. is probably the next after that. And then, um, and then it goes, you know, the same way, kind of a little bit less important each time. Okay. Um, but so, so this is, I mean... After the Daleks, if you've heard of a Doctor Who monster, it's probably the Cybermen. 
Um, mm -hmm. So they first started, uh, they appeared in 1966 in the first Doctor's final episode um, called The Tenth Planet. Um, and they, over the uh, 25 or 30 years of the sh of the uh, the classic show, they appeared 10 times. So pretty good amount. Um, I'm not yeah. sure how that compares to Daleks, how many times the Daleks appeared, but fairly regularly they would return. Um, and um, I think what's interesting about them to contrast them to Daleks a little bit is the Daleks have basically not changed in 50 years, right? Like they look and sound pretty much the same as they did when they first appeared. Whereas the Cybermen, each time they come back, um, they look a little bit, and that's been true since 66. They look different. Like they redid, they made them with, like the silhouette is basically always the same. There's certain iconic elements that have to be incorporated, but the design team would redo them every time. And I think that kind of fits their theme, which is this upgrading technology that, Technology isn't something that's static. It's something that's constantly getting newer and faster and sleeker right, right. and more powerful and everything. In incremental improvement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and constant. You know that it there, right. there's it's in a constant <clears throat> state of change and flux and everything. Um, so I think that's one interesting. So I mean, these are a redesign, just like every other time that they've showed up, they've been redesigned. Um, and I think the other thing which is important about them is this idea that I think what makes them, they're not the scariest for me, but what does make them scary is not the way they look. It's not, and it's not the robot aspect. It's the idea of what they are. The fact that mm -hmm. they were people and that the underlying body horror is that these are what we could be. And, and in the 60s, I think they were really playing on this idea of organ transplant and bionic body parts. And what if people started to become replaced by, you know, you, you do so much technological advancement with medicine that you start to not need people anymore. You can just manufacture your own body. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I think you know the the new show is playing on that too with all of these added idea i think the new show's adding in the, these ideas of digital technology so they're adding in the ear pods and the kind of mind control aspect of it as well um so i think that kind of physical horror is sort of what makes them creepy underneath so they become less the kind of they are the militaristic robots, but they're also the Frankenstein monster. They're yeah, it's not yeah. a, it's not a robot. It's alive, you know. Oh, it's not oh, I working, should say it alive. is alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, actually, a nice little echo of, or the Doctor echoes it when he says that of the TARDIS when he finds the crystal, he says it's alive. You know that again. Mm -hmm. There's a machine there, but that's completely the opposite, right? Because that's an organic thing which has you know it's a naturally occurring organic thing whereas this is an organic brain which has been cut out and well they're manipulating into, yeah. yeah 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 and all for um, this idea of immortality and whatever right. is weak is to be removed so you right. know the body the emotions 
that these are these are the weak aspects of humanity what is strong and worth preserving is the mind and the brain and we can live forever yeah well and you brought up before the idea of vampire yeah it it being it being a link there and they talk about the me, you know the skin of metal and a, a body that will never age or die and that's that's sort of the classic idea right vampires have super strength yeah or at least more modern conceptions of vampires have are really strong and they don't die like they keep their youthful yeah appearance. and the idea that you will be assimilated you will become like us that we've ascended to the higher plane and isn't it great from up here and we're gonna force you to join us whether you like it or not yep exactly which brings us to <laughs> da -dun -da. and we thought we were done with the parallels i know we thought we were done with the parallels but you wanted to start talking about parallels for buffy i do because um, not only are the cybermen kind of an interesting type of vampire like i said like the monster that is strong and immortal and will you know physically force you into being like itself um mm -hmm. but we've also got really specific parallels between lumic and ford um we've got these characters who are dying and yeah. looking for a way out uh, you know out of fear of that and so they're going to do whatever they can and not only that they're going to lead other people into doing it as well you know now this this situation is slightly different lumic you know is you know has kind of decided that everyone must agree with him that death is to be avoided at all costs and so i'll create cybermen who will go out and convert people for me you know, whereas mm. Ford seems to be, um, he has no delusions of altruism, right? Like, no. this is completely, I mean, not that Lumix not self-centered, he is, but he's also deluded himself into thinking that he's doing some sort of good for humanity, you know, that humanity or, will be improved by this, whereas... Or at least that part of humanity which survives after, you know, <laughs> after he's the, had his After the rejects way. have been deleted, yeah. Right, um, right, And if exactly. they were going to be deleted, then they weren't worthy of survival anyway. But, well, of um, course. But Ford, um, it's more, it's more, he's only self-interested in the sense that this is, he's manipulating everyone to preserve himself, so... Yes, he's going to lead the vampire cult with him, but not because he's thinking that this is going to improve them in any way. It's more like this is part no. of this is part of the deal that he's making. They're right. they're the the feast that he's handing over to the vampires. I don't think he expects <clears throat> them to get converted into vampires. He no, expects he... them to be eaten and himself to be converted. And he's explicit. Yeah. about that right, the um, you know when when, yeah. when when buffy brings it up right she's like yeah she says you know they're they're just the fodder to you right and, and he says these people are sheep yep. they want to be vampires because they're lonely miserable bored i don't have a choice and 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 then we get a whole you know choice conversation there but i, I just sort of picking that out i just yeah, like, I think Ford is very aware of the fact that everyone in that room is going to die, except him. Yeah. He's he's the exception. Like, yeah. he's, 
which I mean, it turns out that he is right. But that what a what a risk. And I guess yeah. I guess in the explanation of his terminal illness, which we're led to believe is cancer. I don't think the word cancer is ever actually used. He, 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 he talks tumors. about he talks about he tumors, talks about tumors yeah. and stuff, right? But I mean. Um, yeah, but that's what I got. So, out. Some sort of brain cancer is what I got out so of it. So the, you know, the fact that these people are dying, yeah, it's to him, it's it's an end. You know, it, a means to an end. I mean that that he, as long as he's the one who makes it through, yeah, it'll be um, it'll be okay. Yeah, and and I think you're right. I think that is different from Lumic. Um, but it's interesting because I think in Lumix's case, you could, at least now in the beginning stages, right, you get these, it's the homeless people who are being pulled uh-huh. in off the street, right? It's the yeah. ones who can't feed themselves and who are sort of marginalized and, and, and all of that. Um, and, and they're not, like, they don't necessarily want to become super Cybermen, but, you, yeah, you can almost see that, you know, that quote philanthropic yeah. uh you know attitude in in what lumic is doing yeah, and no, that you I'm... could imagine him saying well these are people that can't take care of themselves so right that makes it okay for me and to have make already been rejected by them. society yeah. yeah 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 and they've already been rejected so now i'm helping them they, they won't need to eat and they'll be strong and they'll be healthy and yeah. you know um whatever and so you know, there is a little bit of different motivation there, obviously for for um, Ford's friends, for Marvin slash Diego, <laughs> um, and and Chanterelle, which I'm assuming Chanterelle is also another um, not real name, but who knows? Right. It could be. Um, I, I'm I'm just sort of assuming that's one that she chose um, because she seems to be fully in character at that point. Um, you know they they believe they they believe that they're going to be something higher and it's funny to me too especially chanterelle who keeps talking about the lonely ones Mm -hmm. um, they who walk in the night and that kind of thing and then given ford's description of these people are sheep they're only here because they're lonely miserable and bored like you know chanterelle's seems to be you know saying like they're the lonely ones but like that's why we have sort of the right to join them maybe like because we're lonely too and she's identifying with them yeah yeah. like this is yeah she's totally identifying with them and this is kind of she doesn't ever come out and say it but like the the sense is there that um you know by becoming a lonely one herself like she will no longer be lonely. You know well, what I mean? Like, already and it's already lonely. Yeah, no. Well, you right. Get that well, idea, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, she's lonely now. So, like, by becoming quote the lonely one, yeah. like with a capital L, capital O, capital O, she will no longer be lonely. But it's like, well, but okay. Where do you expect to find that camaraderie? Like, you yeah. know, where, where, where exactly are you? If they're the lonely ones, how does you becoming a lonely one help you to stop being lonely kind of thing? Yeah. Like, and again, that's nothing explicit that she says. That's just more like the sense that you get as you, as, as, you know, the more she talks, it's almost like, yeah, come on, just stop. You just, no, you, you can't, that's not what's going to happen. And it's yeah. clearly not. I mean, all of those, uh, spike is very explicit. No, you know, take everyone else and leave the Slayer for me. Like, this is not a situation where they had any plans on turning anyone. No, and I think that's a big point of departure, <clears throat> you know, for like from, like, different 
well, I don't, I don't want to say that. I was going to make a contrast between Buffy and Twilight. But then even, I mean, even to be fair to Twilight, you get, you have the I've... good vampires and the bad vampires. And just like in Buffy, you've got Angel on one hand and Spike on the other. Like, I think, you know, most stories try to kind of find the balance between the two. But it's yeah, almost I... like, it's almost like you, if she was, if this was being made today, she'd be someone who, one of these people who is sort of putting the monster on the pedestal as something to be, oh, yeah. it's not really monstrous, that it's to be, you know, loved and adored and and pitied and, and, you know, and then of course you've got Spike to come in and in about two seconds with a oh, look, yeah. you know, show her that she has no idea the fire that she's playing with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, you know, Angel calls them idiots. Yep. Buffy calls them morons. Yep. Like, like none of they're they're all blissfully clueless about yeah. about what's going on here. I, I would hesitate to draw any further conclusions between this and Twilight, but um, mostly because I never read or have experienced Twilight in any way, shape or form. And I'm not necessarily eager to change that at this point. But um, my yeah, no, there's, and, and I think that's exactly it. There's, there's this conception of, you know, oh, well, maybe vampires. And of course, I mean, we've sort of gone away from talking about the whole metaphor thing, right? But this is, we probably could pull a metaphor out of here. I mean, there, there probably are actual vampire cults in the real world. Oh, so yeah. like you, 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 you could be fairly literal with it. Oh, but, well, but you there could, was, I've, one final Twilight parallel. There was, I don't know if it still happens, but there was like news reports of groups of teenagers who bite, who would bite each other. Like after having read yeah. Twilight, you know, like you get that kind of in the real world, the kind of fascination with the occult and with, you know, and with these types of mythologies and everything and a kind of romanticization well, and, of that. And I, and I was going to even abstract it even more and, and just say like, there are, there's sort of the, like you could, you could associate it even with like rave culture or, or any, yeah. any sort of, any sort of, um, you know, <laughs> YOLO would be perhaps like another sort of like meme or something that uh -huh. you could associate it with, um, where there's any sort of like this, you know, you, you have a youth and, and, and you want to get the most out of it and whatever, but like nobody understands you and whatever, but, but taking it to the extreme, right. It's, it's, it's that, um, nothing, nothing that we can do now is really dangerous to us. It's, you know, we deserve to be young forever and we deserve to look pretty forever. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's that, it's that sort of refusal to accept that there may be, some dangerous elements to to the things that you're doing as as a kid like there's you know oh what i'm doing is harmless it's not going to hurt anyone let alone myself like i know what i'm doing and yeah. and no that's that's actually not true all yeah. the time and that's not to say that you can't go out and have fun or or can't enjoy um certain things even certain things that might be dangerous at times but it's like the refusal, I, I think we get some of that too in, in Buffy's um, description to Ford about his own 
um, sort of internal dialogue and internal script that mm-hmm. he's working from. And and we see it too with, with Spike where he's like, you know, oh, aren't you supposed to say I only have 30 seconds to change your yeah. mind? Well, you know, and then he makes him say it. It's like, it becomes uncomfortable there for a minute. It's like, no, wait, really? You're still pressing this? Like you're... Yeah, no, and, he's and got... Sp- the scenes are scripted. And, yeah. yeah. S- Spike gets really annoyed. And it's it's this it's this idea that you know better than anyone else how mm-hmm. life really is. And by the way, you know, I'm young and in- invincible, even though Ford should know that he's not invincible at this right. point. He's he's sort of seeking that out still. Right. Well, um, this wow, is all... I feel like I kind of went all over the place on that. But um... <laughs> no, I mean, this is all his his manipulation to make himself invincible. He's very aware of the fact that he's not invincible. And that's the whole point is. Right. He's willing to throw everyone else. And that's why I feel like that kind of reckless delusional aspect fits more with the with the cult, with you know, with Chanterelle and and the rest and and the way they play it. I mean, they're clearly they make fun of, you know, the guy's cape and like, you know, and she's kind of clearly in her own world a little bit like they're kind of out of it there, there's a few pieces missing you know like they're not altogether mm-hmm. there whereas right ford who is the one who's coming in from the outside right like he's moved here he has probably researched and found this cult figured out what buffy is and he's here in order to exploit them he's very aware of his own mortality well, and this is his way of the ultimate upgrade is what we're calling it like his way of ascending he's the one who will ascend to what he sees as a higher plane on the other side of pain and death and fear and all those things that he won't have to worry about once he's the vampire yeah and it's interesting too like it's you you know you get the idea we we talked about this a little bit um in 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 the reptile uh episode Mm -hmm. there where where you have kind of the difference between the one who's the true believer and the one who's, you know, sort of the followers who are like just kind of going on. And, and we get some talk about yeah. true believers here, but but you almost get like the the people who are in the cult who are doing like all the costume changes. Ford doesn't ever have any of the costumes no, no, that, look, yeah. that look vampire-esque in, you know, scare quotes there. Um you no, know, in the way that them, Marvin that, Diego does. Yeah. And, it, yeah. For them, it is, I mean... Before I think we were recording, we used like the the terms. It's more of like a fandom. Like it, it's more a, right. It's, it's they're play acting, but in a different way. I mean, he's play acting in the sense that he's scripted his own nefarious. He sees himself as the villain, is what Buffy says. So he's figured out he's assumed the role of the villain and is comfortable mm-hmm. with that and is figured out how he's going to win. Whereas for them, it's more play acting in the sense of a fantasy, a romanticization and so they're going to dress the part and and you know it it becomes this kind of costumed affair, you know, yeah. and they're yeah. assuming their parts and uh and and not being manipulative in the same way that he is. It's more this right kind of delusional acting that they're taking part in. Right, and and you kind of get the feeling that had Ford never arrived, that some of them at least would have 
Well, I I almost use the term grown out of it. Right. I, yeah. You know, I I don't necessarily mean it in that sense because no, you know gone... it's perfectly fine for people to get up, you know, to dress up and act like vampires if that's what they choose to do. No, but, but you get the you idea almost that feel like they would have gone merrily along, having their little like secret clubhouse. Yeah. And then yeah, the, eventually they would have become interested in other things, and people would come and go. It's like it's Ford that is coming in and saying. We can do this, you know, and yeah, yeah, and because they're not very strong-willed, as sheep aren't, uh, <laughs> and they don't understand what that means, they'll go right along with it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it, you know, and and Angel even says, you know, I've experienced, I've run into this before, just like the doctor, I've run yeah. into this before, like this, you know, these people are not um, all there, but you don't get the sense from Angel that. Any of the people in that room are dangerous. No, of course not. He, no, he's I don't the, get that sense he, either. He, he focuses on Ford, and and he he even says this this feels wrong. Like this guy feels wrong. Yeah. He feels like a wrong person. Yeah. Like it's just not like there's something about him specifically. Not the not the vampire cult or whatever. Like yeah. they'll continue and do whatever, and there'll be other ones. I mean, they're they're never going to stop. You know, they'll you'll find them in different probably metropolitan cities all over the yeah world you know but like yeah this yeah, but he calls them he calls them children they're making up bedtime stories of friendly vampires to comfort themselves in the dark you know this is harmless yeah mostly mostly yeah. harmless it's play and, acting and and they're not yeah um anyway so we should probably talk a little bit about the actual characters too like beyond just the the whole cult and everything. I think, um, was there anything else you wanted to say about Ford? Uh, let um, me see. And well, and obviously like he gets his wish. He becomes a vampire yeah. for, about for about three seconds. Second. Yeah. That was a great, <laughs> great reversal. Um, didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. I honestly, and I'm sure that's what you're intended to just think he was killed. And well, and that's, that's what Buffy thinks. Yeah. Well, you know, she says we're going to go back for the body. But but then she's also waiting at the grave and not surprised when he rises. So maybe they're no, there just right. in case. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. They, not I really mean, sure. Right. And, but that's kind of interesting right. that it seems that Spike kept his end of the bargain. Um, mm. It's yeah, surprising. Um, and yeah, Ford. You know dastardly villain that he was didn't account for the fact that probably Buffy surviving and knowing you were going to turn into a vampire not great odds for survival in that instance yeah no it's not at all um, um, and, well, yeah, and she and, says, and, and he she knows, says I'll kill he you knows she's this yeah <laughs> well yeah that's true I mean he knows she's the slayer like yeah. what does he expect to happen well, well he expected and of course her to the die. expectation was that she was going to be was dead die. yeah he must not know the other part of the mythology that when a slayer dies a new one comes around right. so like right. I mean right yeah um, no you know he still wouldn't necessarily be safe but um, yeah anyway so yeah um, there. A lot of stuff there. I guess the only other thing I would say there is that, like, there are moments where you do almost want to like Ford, um, especially like when he says there at the end, he goes, "You know what, Summers? I really did miss you." Like, it's like, mm-hmm. 
then why are you being so obtuse, dude? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, what, what's, what, like, just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like it, 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 it like she says, it's it's mass murder, yeah. no matter how you spin it, and and that's not cool. That's not right. You're you're still, you're still bad. Well, <laughs> like that. I mean, I don't know that I ever was seriously tempted to like him, but you do well, have to feel bad for him in the sense that he's going through what everyone will go through which is that facing your I mean some more immediately than others but your own mortality and having to come to grips with that as you know he's not even 20 years old yet you know like to be faced with that at that age you know is certainly a terrifying and relatable thing which is why we have all these stories which come back to this theme over and over and over and over again. You know, that's why the villains are often the ones who are achieving immortality is, yeah. or trying to, is the fear of that. And that's something which is relatable. Right. So, right. Um, the only other thing I had was, just out of curiosity, do you know what movie he's lip-syncing to? Is it Dracula? In it the, is it Dracula. Is. Okay, I couldn't quite tell yeah. from the image. I couldn't make it out well enough to tell. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how many versions of Dracula there are. I believe this one was from like the mid-70s. Okay, so it because it didn't look like Bela Lugosi um, to me. So it must have been a later yeah. one. That's why I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is a version of Dracula. A version. <laughs> um, and I figured. I just didn't recognize the actor. So I was just curious. Yeah. Um, um, Okay, yeah, no, that's a good point. And and that is that is kind of a funny little scene there where he's uh lip syncing, yeah. Um Yeah, and again, I mean, I think that's part of the appeal of vampires from when they started to to this all the stuff that's out today is that tension between the monster and the romantic, you know, like that they're firmly rooted in the Byronic anti-hero tradition, right? That you are both supposed to fear them and be attracted to them at the same time and they flirt yeah. that line and they've done that for as long as we've had stories about them um or sure. at least in the last sure. couple hundred years that's been true so um kind of nice to remind you of that with the movie in the background that dracula's both the villain but he's kind of a sexy villain and you know there's always that element of something you know the, the cult has must just have Dracula playing constantly in the background that they're kind right, of right. they're fetishizing or, the monster you know and or various yeah various vampire movies anyway yeah, possibly right. other ones but um so yeah so speaking of vampires for Go speaking for of vampires let's talk about Drusilla okay um and because we get quite a bit more about her in this episode yeah. Um, yeah, and, do. and, and, and so, well, and I don't know, I don't know if you want to, did, did you have any questions or, or were there any specific points you had about her or I can just sort of go through my notes well, here, but, um, so, um, a couple things. So just in terms of, we, I think we get a little bit more data about her. I don't know whether we'll ever find out more about specifically what's wrong with her i mean we know she's mad that's what angel says um spike says yeah, and and not just that she's mad that 
it's his fault. Well, she's exactly, mad. yeah. Um, through through torture and but yeah. But I mean, what I mean is that it's a a, a mental issue. She's psycho psychologically, there's something wrong. But then also physically, you know, because it's Spike is always saying that she's weak and everything. So we're getting this right. idea of she. It's like she can only handle small game, right? Like she's like preying on the boy who's alone in the playground. Right. Um, right. And she's not strong enough. But there's also an aspect to it that she enjoys that. Like it's it's well, the right. mental torture that well, she's, she's the cat playing with the mouse a little bit, you know. Right. But but right. I but I even think like she can't. Could she even handle a fully grown person? Because she puts up zero resistance to Buffy at the end when exactly when, so and, and that's why she's up on that, the yeah so I think there's yeah an that's why she's, that she's not physically capable of handling larger prey that she has to be given she either has to go for something small or she has to be given her treats by spike you know so right. there's something physically weak about her as well yeah no and and um right and that she wasn't supposed to go out my tummy was growly mm -hmm. and you were out that's why i wandered away she, like rose apparently she tends to wander she tends to wander um, yeah a couple things about that and we will definitely get more about spike and drew um and and sort of their relationship to angel and their origins and stuff as as episodes go on but um a couple things so one we we already learned that spike and angel like Angel was Psych Spires. Now, now we also Sire. Did I say Spire? That's Spikes, Angel is Spike's Sire, sire. Yes. and and now we learn that Angel's also Drusilla's Sire. Yeah. They don't use the term Sire, but he's the one who turned, turned her. her. Yeah. Um, and 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 on the day that she was to take her holy orders in a convent, uh -huh. after he makes her insane and kills everyone she loves, and yeah, and you know does all these terrible things. He to her. sounds like a nice um, guy. Yeah, and well, and and that's him as Angelus, right? Yeah. Like we, there, there is a we we do. They've made some distinction here, like he's Angel now and Angelus, but it, the, like as time goes on, there's sort of a more distinct um, personality uh, a, a distinction between okay. Angel and Angelus. So mm -hmm. Angelus is before he had a soul right, when he was pure he vampire. Had the the gypsies, the curse, the soul. He has conscience right. and regret and all the feelings. Yeah. And, and actually, that's things. I want. I wanted to make that point before too. Like when you were crassly comparing to Twilight, um, that that that's the distinction, right? That's the distinction we get between Angel and all of the other vampires. Like it's not like a class of vampires that are good and a class of vampires right. that are bad or something. Here, this is. Angel is unique. He has a soul. Well, exactly. Vampires do not have souls in yeah. in any other form. Right. And, so, and it seems to me that what come and more important than or as important as that is all that comes with it, which is this idea of self awareness of your own monstrous and, nature and, and guilt. Guilt. Yeah. Yep. It's conscience yeah. and an ability to <laughs> understand what he's done. I love that scene where they're in willow's room and you get you get like more from angel about himself yeah. than i think anything we've gotten yeah, so far willow, and, right. and, and and he's he's yeah he's like opening up to willow like you know 
you're the best friend of my girlfriend, so yeah. I'm going to open up to you. you know, things used to be simple. A hundred years just hanging out, feeling guilty, really honing my brooding skills. Yep. Then she comes along. Like, that's just so... I love that. Um, the, the, the whole idea of um, Drusilla, though, going back to Drusilla. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I wanted to make the point that... So, one, we get this... Um, she is uh, Angel's sire, and that that sort of, like, the the insanity and whatever. Like, we, you know, we hear about, like, the demon coming in and taking you over, but it has kind of, like, your personality sure, and memories yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So because because he drove her insane... She becomes you know, this insane kind that's, of... That's, yeah. That's, it, yeah, right, she's an insane demon now. Yeah. But, like, so that, that's there right from the beginning of her being... Of empire, mm-hmm. um, the physical weakness. Um, I think we're meant to see that as a more recent and temporary development. Like that's what okay. Spike says when so um, some, some when sort of when they come or, right yeah. when they come to Sunnydale, it's to help her get better. Right. So like the implication right. is they that came for the something air happened. And everything. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's the whole, like, it's the, it's, it's the, the traveling convalescence, uh-huh. you know, that you get from, yeah. Sort of those like 18th and 19th century right. she probably stories. probably has like right. brain fever or something. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah. So I, I think that's the implication is that, is that she is sick and that being near the hell mouth, is helping her get better, but right. it's a slow process yeah. and, and that it's, um, yeah. And that is something that over time will, will develop. What, so I, I is... mean, we don't necessarily know. Well, and there's the implication that she was killed by a mob. Like that could have been what made her sick or yeah. weak or whatever. We don't know. Like we don't have enough information yeah. sort of yet about what happened to make that determination, but right. that's at least the implication that I think we're, we're meant to have by them coming to Sunnydale and, and, that whole conversation about her health. Yeah. Um, no, and, that, and that's that. kind of what I meant by more data. Like, I think we got more information that it is both her own innate sort of madness, but also that there's the physical element as well. Right. What's interesting and, to me, what was interesting in the first episode that they were in, and which continues to be really fascinating, is the way that her relationship is with Spike. It's really intriguing to me because Spike is clear. I mean, we have Angel, who's the vampire with the soul and with, you know, guilt and remorse and feelings. And Spike is clearly the foil to that. But then Angel's the one that turned Drusilla, that he's this monstrous vampire that just, like, tormented her just for his own amusement um, and now we've got who seems to be the the bad boy vampire taking care of her, very concerned about her, you know, always worried about and doesn't want to go immediately. Out. He, he yeah, no playing around with Buffy. Like there's no risking Drew. So what yeah. is the source of that? And it's interesting <laughs> that we have the good yes. vampire destroying a person and and casting her off and then you've got with the supposedly bad vampire coming behind and and taking her under his wing and really like you know i guess sort of you know bringing her into the fold of the way of being a vampire but then also 
taking care of her, like really protecting her from, from, you know, everything. So what's the source of that affection? You know, if that makes me question the whole idea of the soullessness of the vampires that, I mean, they're, they apparently can become attached to each other and have real concern and affection for each other. And that sounds like one of those things that should go along with having a soul. Um, Ah, So it complicates this idea of... I mean, I don't know that we have any reason to disbelieve what Buffy says in her little explanation of vampires, that you're basically just the vehicle, right? That you die. Your real self dies and leaves. And a demon sets up shop. So... It has mm-hmm. it. It has attributes which are like you. Like if you had a personality, if you had a particular characteristic, like the madness, you know, it it retains that. But but you is gone, right? That it's this right. thing which is infecting you, which is doing the thinking and the talking. But then yeah. But then whence the source of this kind of connection between <laughs> Spike and Drew? <laughs> Yeah. So it's very That's a it's great very interesting. question. <laughs> that is an excellent question and one that I think you should continue asking yep. for the next 6 seasons okay. that we are going to be watching. Yeah. Um also any seasons of Angel that yeah, we might yeah, watch bet, yeah. where this may also come up. Um no, I yeah, no, you I mean you've you've caught on precisely to the to the you know uh to the thing that makes Spike in particular, and and along with him, Drew, different from other vampires. You're absolutely right. It is different, and it's different in a way that's different than Angel is different, if that's not too many difference in one sentence. Well, because Um, as far as we know, and I'd be really surprised if this was true, Spike doesn't have a soul in the same way that Angel does. Right, so... Spike does not have a soul like Angel. Yeah. Um... And nor does Drusilla. Yeah. Um, and you're right. There is a devotion, an affection, um, uh, a, a, a tie there that is not what you think of when you think of vampires. And not what we're... And, and, and I don't think Buffy is wrong. Well, first of all, so uh, I just want to point out, I mean, you're right. Buffy says all that about um, a demon setting up shop. That's the explanation Giles gives way back at the beginning of season one with Jesse. When we talk about, you know, Jesse and, and Xander and, and, you know, Xander trying to figure out should he kill Jesse, his best friend, yeah. or should he, um, you know, or, or, or is something of him still alive in there? And, and so on the one sense, like, Buffy's completely earnest, but she's completely earnest because that's what Giles told her. Right. So it's not like and, she has firsthand experience. We now have reason to maybe question what Giles has said in the last couple of episodes. Maybe. With, maybe. With, re- not with regard. But... Yeah, with, right, because Giles has a past yeah. and we don't know all of that past that that entails. Yeah, his, his I, reliability has been called into question somewhat, I think. I will say this. That I don't think Giles is being disingenuous either in, in this aspect as far as the explanation of, of yeah, and vampires not having souls I and demons coming in. Because, because also, I just want to point out, too, that we also get Angel, who, who is clearly the first 
has the firsthand experience of being a vampire and also has the soul. And yeah. he's, he's the one who's described that as well. Like it's not, right. you, you know, it's not just, um, it, it's not you after the fact, it's not you that gets to be young. It's a demon that comes in. So mm-hmm. I, I think we have enough sources. Like if, if we're doing sort of like a archeological or, or sort of an academic experience, like we have multiple sources saying the same thing. Yeah. And, and, and so I think we can take it pretty well at this point. And just based on the mythology that I know of the series, yeah. I can confirm that, yes, a, a demon comes in, Spike does not have a soul like Angel, mm-hmm. and that you're right to point out that Spike is nonetheless different from other vampires because of this affection that he has um, okay. for Drusilla. So I don't want to say more about that because we will get a lot we'll get more, sure, yeah. you know, um, going through the series. And I, But I think that... I think the questions that you ask are absolutely the right questions to be asking at this point and to be continuing to focus on about, you know, what, what makes that, what makes a vampire bad? Like, you know, you have this demon, but is it, is there, you know, can the, can the personality sort of overcome it? Can the demon itself maybe be something not quite as monstrous as we think of it. All, like all these questions. And I'm not, I'm not trying to lead like to one answer or another. Mm-hmm. Like, I think those are questions that come up in a number of forms, not just related to spike, but with a number of different monsters or not monsters or, you know, enemies or not enemies, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the series. So I think that's all, that's all tied in there, but yeah, absolutely. Spike's different. He has affection that none of the other vampires that we've seen other than angel who has a soul, you know, seems to, you know, none of them have had at this point. So, yeah. Um, and, and, and in a way it does, like we talked about sort of the Billy Idol, mm-hmm. you know, look and, you know, it, it like Spike just isn't your classical vampire. Yeah. Like he's no, just it not goes against that. His image. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. the tough so, guy punk isn't yeah. really all there mm-hmm. is, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I, there, there's, 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 there's more on that coming up. So I, I definitely, like, and and I, I don't think you're gonna have to wait a real long time for that. Okay. I'm not saying like next episode, but like, yeah. we get in season two definitely Within you'll season, you'll get right? more. You'll definitely get more on that. Good. Um. So yeah. So anything else about Drew? Like, man, we've got like only a few minutes I left know. here, but. Anything else on Drew that you wanted to, to sort of bring up? I don't think so. Those were the main things I wanted to talk about. Did you have anything uh, uh, else? Just sort of generally speaking, I know we, we were going to sort of save like the theme stuff mm-hmm. to the end, but yeah. <laughs> we're quickly Maybe closing should, on time yeah. here. Um, I just wanted to point out the, the sort of jealousy um, back and forth. So you get right at the beginning of the episode, Buffy sort of her overlooking and being jealous of angel and drusilla speaking and then later in the episode you get spike wanting to know what drew and angel were speaking about and sort of showing that same jealousy it's a little off the two of you being so friendly him being the enemy and all yeah um you know like that's that's very much um and, and then also later the revelation that angel says she was an obsession of mine not a love obsession it was a a you know, torture obsession. Yeah. It was, you know, a sadistic obsession. Um, she was pure, sweet, chaste, and first, you know, and you made her a vampire? Well, first I made her insane. You know, like, it's that, it, like, it, 
is not sexual, but it's way worse. Like in yeah. some ways, oh, yeah. you know, the, you, you know, the, the, this kind of stuff. So anyway, that, that whole jealousy attention, you know, who's giving whom attention yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, well, and, and I thought, you know, it was kind of a nice parallel back to the last week when, um, even though Buffy kind of learned something about maybe not making superficial assumptions about what kind of girl Angel's into, on the other hand, um, some of that still seems to be lingering because you get her yeah. saying what she writes on the paper when they're passing notes to Willow to describe Drusilla is dark hair, old dress, pretty. And isn't that exactly the kind of girl that Buffy was trying <laughs> right, to be right. last week was dark right, hair, right. old dress, pretty. She, that 18th century or 19th century, you know, mm-hmm. woman is what she was trying to go for. So, right. you know, And she doesn't think Drusilla's a vampire at that no, point. She's she like, no, she just thinks she's this old-fashioned, yeah. attractive girl. So there's still, I mean, not only is it still the jealousy, but with a very specific kind of girl like and again Buffy oversees them it's not she's not hung up on that but but that's what lingers with her that's what she describes to Willow is an image very Mm -hmm. much like the one that she was trying to inhabit last week so yeah it's kind of a nice callback to that yeah no I, I think that's right um and and well, yeah, and talking about jealousy, I mean, we we get we get sort of all around jealousy in this episode. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, we were talking a little bit it, like how Xander doesn't have a huge part in this episode, but his part seems to be centered on that jealous aspect, which is nothing new for Xander. Yeah, but I like <laughs> I like that immediately when we get um, Ford come in when Ford comes in, like suddenly Xander's perfectly fine with Angel. Right. It, it's like you know, it's like literally the devil or the demon i know is yeah. you know the, the 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 one that's okay um because he's all he's all about jumping all over angel when he's done something wrong you know if angel said something wrong i want to know because it gives me a happy yeah um but then as soon as ford comes in like it's like oh i'm gonna have to go with dead boy on this one like yeah. <laughs> you know he's he's very much um not in favor of of the new guy. And then, and then, you know, immediately as Ford is out of the way again, Xander's going to go right back, back yeah. to hating angel. No, but it, I just, I just like that jealousy, depending on, who's I just in like the room. that switch. Yeah. Yeah. That switch there. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, well, in our last two minutes, <laughs> we should yeah, one and a yeah. half minute, we should talk about, the theme as announced by the title of the episode, you know, uh, neither yeah. of which episodes have very, uh, you know, oblique titles this time around. They, they kind of tell you, no, not very, front. not very subtle. No, are they? they tell <laughs> yeah. you what the episode is about in the title. So, um, you know, all this idea of the secrets and the lying and what are the, the problems that that causes, but then, so why do we do it? Well, maybe there are reasons to lie and maybe there are times when lying is easier or, uh, or more convenient. Or even when we want to hear a lie. Hear. Um, yeah. I mean, and it kind of gets kickstarted in a throwaway kind of way of Jenny taking Giles on a secret date and, and she's not going to tell him what it is, which is echoed when later Ford takes Buffy on a secret date, which oh, turns yeah. out to be 
kind of dangerous. So you get sort of a uh, an innocuous little white lie, which mm-hmm. certainly Jenny doesn't mean any harm to Giles. It turns out that he doesn't no. like the date, but it's it's a harmless little <laughs> secret that's just going to be for fun. Whereas then you get Ford's very significant and dangerous lie to Buffy right, and to right. the vampire cult to pre well, Ford's lying to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they just kind of keep making references to it. So Ford says, and, and these really, even though the t- the title isn't subtle, that a lot of the references are subtle, you know, like the yeah. secret dates and Ford teasing Buffy that he knows all her darkest secrets and everything. And, right, and right, you right. think, and, and you're with Xander when you go, oh, you want to bet? Like, you hear the irony in that. But then it's a double reversal because he actually does know her darkest secret. Um, and he's right. going to exploit and it. So. The, and the, and the, re, the relief that Buffy has when she realizes she doesn't have to lie exactly. to Ford. And that, you that, know, makes, it that. Easy, the, makes the relationship easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Contrasted with Willow's distinct lack of relief when she realizes she has to hide from oh, Buffy Bu- Bu- that Willow she's investigating. Yeah. <laughs> it's the coffee. Yeah, uh, it makes me jittery. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, even as she's lying, she's horrible lying. at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, I don't even think that she actually says that she had coffee. She just sort of acknowledges that it makes her jittery. Yeah, well, Buffy um, asks, because she's so jumpy, Buffy assumes that's because she must have had caffeine or something. Right. Um, and Angel Angel lies to Buffy about, you know, being in. I, I stayed in. I was reading. Yeah. When clearly, when Buffy saw him, yeah. you know, talking to Drew. Yeah. And, and um, Angel and Willow and Xander all lie to Buffy because they're investigating Ford behind her back. And Buffy is understandably a little miffed about that. But also you can see their point. You know, if they were completely wrong, they don't want to. Right. You know, they're coming at it from a good place. They want to make sure that he's okay. They also don't want yeah. to cause, you know, a, a conflict if there doesn't need to be one. So, again, mm-hmm. the lie is in intention, you know, a white lie. It's not meant to hurt anybody. So Yeah, but it still kind of, hurts. Of course. And so it's yeah. all this complicated interweaving yeah. of, of <clears throat> lies for all different sort of motivations and even yeah. the good ones to and tend to do more damage than anything else you know that's kind of what you come down to yeah no well and and you get that look when willow is explaining exactly kind of what you were saying there that they didn't want to say anything to buffy in case they were wrong and buffy just kind of gives her yeah, a look totally and then walks away them, like yeah. it's it, yeah. it well and it's and and i think it's I think it's her attempt to say, intellectually, I understand what you're saying, and I understand your motivations for doing that. It but it still it hurts, right. and I'm yeah. still I'm still gonna need time to get over it. Yeah, no, um, I mean, and but, justifiably is upset about that. I think. Yeah. But then you get the eponymous lie at the end. You get the Buffy, you know, saying to Giles, "Lie to me." Yeah. And and his explanation of. Yes, life is terribly simple. Yeah. The good guys are always stalwart and true. The bad guys are always easily distinguished by their pointy horns or black hats. And we always defeat them and save the day. No one ever dies and everybody lives happily ever after. Yeah. And then, of course, she calls him a liar. Yeah. Um, which is like, 
like that's that's the setup, right? It's lie to me so that I can call you a liar. Yeah. And so and and almost so that like it's humorous, but it's also that catharsis yeah. too at the end to say everything that's gone on this whole episode has been about lies and secrets right and, and to call and, bs on that kind of and, that kind of i mean that it even though that's almost like how the vampire cult people see the <clears> world is <throat> very simple and black and white and good and bad are easily we we understand that vampires are just misunderstood and they're good and everything you know that it's a it's a self-deluded rose-colored romanticized view you know yeah and buffy kind of like you said the catharsis is to just call it like it is and say nope it's a lot messier than that right right she didn't tell she didn't tell giles to lie to her so that she could believe what he was saying exactly like she told him to lie to her so that she could call him a liar yeah (laughs) um yep no i i think that's right well on that note i think we will honestly have to come to an end yep um but we will be back next week so thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you later all right see ya